What a blessing it is to worship with all of you. Uh, I am especially mindful. I feel like I am standing here on holy ground, like this is sacred space, because I am mindful of a couple of luminaries in the Adventist denomination who have pastored in this church, who have stood in this very pulpit. Uh, two preachers that have had a profound influence on my life, uh, starting with John Brunt. Uh, any of you remember John? Probably most of you have a dear friend, a mentor, my teacher. He was actually my homiletics professor way back when I was in college. Uh, so if you do not like my sermon, send your letters directly to him. It's his fault. I have nothing to do with it. Uh, and then the other one, Maury Venden. Any of you remember Maury? Of course. Um, who, when I was in fifth grade, I loved Morris Venden. My friends, they collected baseball cards and bottle rockets and coins, stamps. Not me. I collected cassette tapes. Any of you remember that technology? Yeah, right? Which is a politically correct way of asking how many of you are super old? Um, and not just cassette tapes, they were sermon tapes when I was in fifth grade. Uh, my favorite preacher, Morris Venden. I loved his stories. I loved his voice. I loved his theology. So when my daughter, Claire, was in the fifth grade, I introduced her to Morris Venden's sermons, now online, no longer cassette tapes. Um, and she, too, loved his sermons. And so we co-authored a book back then, uh, called Are You More Spiritual Than a Fifth Grader? Subtitle, A Father and His Daughter Share the Timeless Teachings of Morris Venden. Uh, but the book did not come out for a couple of years after that. So when it was actually published, Claire now was in the seventh grade. And when she saw the book cover, she blew a gasket. She was so upset because the publishers had put on the cover a picture of me with Claire back when she was in fifth grade. But if you're in seventh grade, it's not cool to have your picture on the cover with your dad when you were in fifth grade. And so we were driving to school that morning after it had just come out, and she just saw it, and she was so upset, demanding, Daddy, get my picture off that cover. And I said, sweetheart, I had nothing to do with the cover design or the graphic arts. I, there's nothing I... Well, tell them to reprint it then. I said, they just printed 10,000. I don't care. Get my picture off the... Finally, the only thing that would calm her a bit was when big sister Lindsay piped up with, Claire, Claire, Relax. You got to remember, this is a book by dad. It's not like anybody will ever buy the book and actually. 
actually see your picture, so what are you so stressed about? And that seemed to calm her spirit just a little bit. Uh, well, the book really is just a repackaging of Morris Venden sermons, or I should say sermon, because if you remember, really Elder Venden only had one sermon. I don't care if he was preaching out of the Old Testament or the New Testament, if it was a topical or exegetical or what kind of sermon it was, it was always one sermon, Jesus, everything is about living in Christ. Everything comes back to that personal relationship with Jesus. Every season of salvation, Jesus. This is what Maury once wrote. There are three aspects of salvation. Salvation from our past sins, we call it justification. Salvation from our present sinning, we call this sanctification. Salvation from a world of sin, when Jesus comes again, we call this glorification. The way by which all three of them happen is exactly the same. Jesus. Now, we have no trouble with number one, justification. All we can do is come to Christ just as we are. And we have no trouble with number three, salvation from this world of sin. Nothing we can do to go from earth to heaven except rely totally on Jesus. But somehow, we have gotten the idea that in sanctification, the middle aspect of salvation that, is faith, that it is faith plus effort, Faith plus works. Colossians 2.6 says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Steps to Christ in commenting on that passage says, How are we to abide in Christ? In the same way that we received him at first. How do we experience sanctification, walking with Christ, overcoming sin, and so on? In the same way that we experienced justification, forgiveness of our sins. Ellen White put it this way, divine grace is needed at the beginning, that's justification, Divine grace at every step of advance, that's sanctification. And divine grace alone can complete the work, that's glorification. So, with the time that remains, we are going to look at each aspect of salvation, starting with justification. We'll jump ahead and next do glorification and save the sticky subject of sanctification until the end. So we begin, how is a person justified? That is, how are we made right before God, holy, forgiven of sins? Well, it's through Christ alone. There are many passages in Scripture that we could point to. We'll look at Romans 3.22. Righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came in Christ Jesus. All are freely justified. 
And there is this exchange. My sin for his sinlessness. My guilt for his grace. It's like those old church picnics. Remember when the pastor would get up in front and invite everybody to Sycamore Park tomorrow and last minute the next day you decide, oh, maybe I would like to go to that. And so you go to the refrigerator and find a couple of tired pieces of bread, a rusty head of lettuce, just enough mayo to scrape up your knuckles getting after it and some old long ago expired bologna. You put the sandwich together, throw it in a sack, off to do the fun things we love to do together at church picnics, three-legged race, egg toss, so on. Then the pastor gathers everybody, offers the blessing, and off you go into the shadows of the park, plop down on a rickety picnic table to eat your bologna sandwich. It doesn't look very appetizing, Smells even less so. And just as you're getting ready to bite into it, something catches the corner of your eye. It looks like a living Norman Rockwell painting, a little grandma, complete with a white bun on the back of her head, walking toward your picnic table, hauling a picnic basket that is the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. Wouldn't you know she comes right up to your table, unfolds this red and white checkered gingham tablecloth right up next to your elbow and starts to pull out of her picnic basket hot dogs and, and sandwiches and chips and apples and oranges and blueberry pie and blackberry cobbler. It is a feast that defies the senses. And there you sit holding on to your bologna. Just saying... Grandma glances down at you and says, uh, what do you say we just throw it all together? I got plenty of pie and cobbler and chips. And besides, I just love bologna sandwiches. And so you came as a pauper, but you eat like a princess or a prince. So there you sit on your rickety picnic table of life. You've made so many mistakes. And you feel so much guilt and shame, regret. And God comes to your table, unfolds a white linen tablecloth right up next to your elbow, and he glances to you and he says, what do you say we just throw it all together? I've got more forgiveness than you could ever use up in a million lifetimes. And so you deserve to be treated as a pauper. But instead you are treated as a cherished child of God. And there is this exchange. My guilt for his grace, my baloney for his righteousness. Ellen White puts it this way in The Desire of Ages, Christ was treated as we deserve, that we might be treated as he deserves. He was condemned for our sins in which he had no share, that we might be justified 
by his righteousness in which we had no share. He suffered the death which was ours that we might receive the life which was his. With his stripes, we are healed. We are justified by Christ and Christ alone. We all okay with that? So far, so good, yeah? All right. Now let's jump ahead to glorification. Again, I suspect we all agree on this one. That when Jesus comes again, we will be glorified. Paul describes it, 1 Corinthians 15, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. We will be glorified by Christ alone. Back when I was a kid... Our favorite place to visit had to be Grandma and Grandpa's house. They lived in Walla Walla, Washington. Grandpa, on the back part of his property, had this old barn. One afternoon, uh, there was a ladder there, and so my brother Paul and I, we got up on the roof, and we had just watched the movie Mary Poppins. I heard, I, I heard my friend over here say, oh, no. Uh, and I happened to have with me an umbrella. <laughs> you don't say amen in this church, do you? You say, no, no, no. So I said to my brother, have you ever wanted to fly like Mary Poppins? Well, what kid doesn't want to fly? like Mary Poppins, right? He said, well, yeah. All you have to do, hang on tight to this umbrella and then get to the highest part of the roof and then get a good running start and leap out over Walla Walla and you'll fly all around the town just like Mary Poppins. And it helps if you sing just a spoonful of sugar. Paul said, are you sure? I'm your older, wiser brother. Of course I am sure. So he goes to the apex of the roof. He starts sprinting. And sure enough, jumps out, holding tightly to that umbrella. Guess what? My brother is no Mary Poppins. Now, I'm happy to report no little brothers were injured in the making of this sermon illustration because directly under him happened to be a large mound of corn husks. And so he landed safely. He was fine. But here's the deal. There's not a lot of people who seriously buy into Mary Poppins' theology who could argue, no, I will do enough good works. I will be perfect my whole life through so that when Jesus comes again, I don't need him to take me to heaven. No, I can wing my own way. It's crazy, right? No. How are we glorified someday? Through Christ alone. We will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, glorified to live with God for eternity. Okay? How are we justified? Christ alone. How will we be glorified? Christ alone. 
But now we come to that middle part where most of us are probably living the Christian life right now. In between justified and glorified. How are we then changed into the likeness, the character of Christ? How does this happen? Well, Paul answers, Philippians 2.13, For God is working in you. It's not you working hard to make yourself right before God. No, no, no. It's not you working to change yourself. It is God working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. It's a gift from God. He gives you the power. He gives you the desire to do what is right. We are sanctified by faith in Jesus alone in the same way that we are justified and will someday be glorified. Same way. Ephesians 4. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature, metaphor for sanctification. You know, grow up into the character of Christ. Throw off your sins and your sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception and all these things that we struggle with, that we want to get rid of. He says, throw off these things instead, and here's the key, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. He doesn't say try a little harder, muster up enough willpower. No, no, no. He says, hands off. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes so that it is the Spirit of Christ in us changing the heart. From the inside out, let the Spirit change your thoughts, your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. I was talking about this some years ago. As soon as I finished, there was a gentleman in the back that made a beeline to the platform. I could see his veins bulging in his neck about 10 feet away, his face flush red. He got right in my grill and demanded, that is heresy. What are you teaching? He says, faith without works is dead. He says, when it comes to sanctification, yes, it is faith, but it is faith plus Effort. After all, he argued, throughout Scripture we get this command, make every effort. He then took me to Luke chapter 13. You remember the parable where Jesus says, narrow is the door. Wide is the way where the masses will go. Narrow is the door into eternal life. And then Jesus says in the verse he pointed out, verse 24, so make every effort, look, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, 
will try to enter and will not be able to. He said, it says right there, make every effort. And we talked for quite a while, and I pointed out, but you look at this. What is the reason the gatekeeper gives for rejecting so many? Do you remember? He says, depart from me. Why? I don't know you. So where must our effort always be focused? Getting to know Jesus. The Bible is not against effort. The Bible speaks against trying to earn right standing before God. Right? Make every effort to know Jesus. This is how we grow into his likeness. One of my favorite Maury Venden stories, which I'm sure he has shared from this very pulpit, um, it talks about when he was in eighth grade, he was the shortest kid in the class. And he said, including all of the girls, and that's just not cool. And so I really wanted to be six feet tall. So I decided to help out nature a bit. He went out to the clothesline, started hanging from the pole. Kept hanging until he couldn't any longer. He fell down, raced back into the house, and measured his height. How much do you suppose he grew? He didn't grow any, which led him to write, you don't grow by trying real hard to grow. And yet, how many times in the spiritual life is that the approach that we take? Try really hard to grow in faith and love and joy and all the fruits of the Spirit. You don't grow by trying really hard to grow. You grow by eating. In the spiritual life, you grow by eating the bread of life, drinking of the living water. He says, if I had spent all my time hanging on the clothesline post so that I had no time to come in for dinner, it would be safe to say that I would never have reached six feet tall, only six feet under. (laughs) The Bible is not against effort. But that effort must always be focused on getting to know Jesus. By doing those activities, the spiritual disciplines that put us into the presence of God. Bible study and prayer and corporate worship and serving others. And by doing these things, we nurture an intimate connection with Jesus. Jesus said, John 15, my favorite chapter in the Bible, abide in me and I will, what? Abide in you. And, Jesus says, you will bear much fruit. Notice he doesn't say you will produce much 
fruit, by trying really hard to produce the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and so on. That's not the way it happens. He doesn't call us to produce the fruit by trying really hard. He calls us to bear the fruit of the Spirit dwelling in us, who is changing our thoughts and our attitudes and our hearts. That's how Christian life transpires. That's how sanctification happens. And then Jesus says, apart from me, you can do, you can't sanctify yourself, no matter how hard you try. And so many of us, I think, understand this struggle. There's just behaviors and sins and things that it feels like we just keep Keep failing. So what do you say to people who say, but I, I, it's just not working? One quote that's been very helpful me, to me comes from the pen of W.W. W. Prescott. He was the founding president of Walla Walla University. So he wrote this back, I think, in the early 1900s. Just a small booklet, but this quote has been so helpful for me. For a long time, I tried to obtain victory over sin, and I failed. I have since discovered the reason. Instead of doing the part which God expects me to do and which I can do and which he cannot do for me, I kept trying to do God's part, which he doesn't expect me to do and which I cannot do and which he has promised to do for me. Did you get that? I had to read it through several times because I'm a lot slower than a lot of you. But let's just take another pass at this one, only a little slower. He starts with the statement, for a long time I kept trying to overcome this sin that just keeps tripping me up, you know? It's so frustrating. I kept trying to overcome, and then I just kept failing. I'm reading this saying, that's me. Okay, tell me more. Now, he says, I finally figured out why. What's gone wrong? And then he answers, here's why. Because, see, I kept obsessing over the one thing that God can't do for me. He says, instead of doing the part which God expects me to do, and, by the way, only I can do, God cannot do for me, instead of putting my focus and my energy and efforts there, I kept doing the part that only God can do, that I cannot do, no matter how hard I try, which is what? To sanctify myself, to transform myself into the loving character of Jesus. I kept trying harder and harder to do this, and I just kept failing, not understanding that I wasn't doing the only thing that God cannot do for me, which is what? Surrender. To live in that sacred space of being yielded to God moment by moment, Say, God, I can't. 
but I am wide open. Please, God, live in me. And when we abide in Christ and when we invite him to abide in us, we will bear much fruit. And we can trust him to change us. No longer do we have to worry that I'm not going to be good enough. I'm never going to overcome that. No, 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 no. We can trust God who says, if I begin a good work in you, I will complete it. So after I read through that quote several times, I wrote this in my journal. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I have been trying harder to be that new creation than I have been trying to be in Christ. Don't fight sin. Find Christ. Early in my ministry, I would often talk about how it's not about willpower and trying harder. But it's about training. You know, Paul says, I put my body into training so that I can win the race. And I talked a lot about spiritual disciplines, those uh, things that put us into the presence of God and invite the Spirit to live in us. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. But nowadays, I've taken it another step and would say it's not about trying and it's not just about training ultimately it's about trusting God who began a good work in you he will be faithful you don't have to stress everything's okay trust God and so to wrap up the teaching I point us back to 1 Corinthians 1, verses 30 and 31. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, our righteousness. That's justification. Christ is our holiness. That's sanctification. And Christ is our redemption. That's glorification. Therefore, he says, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Bottom line, it's all about Jesus. We are justified and forgiven of our past sins because of Jesus and Jesus alone. We are sanctified and transformed into the image of Jesus through his power alone. It's Jesus. And someday when he comes again, we will be glorified because of Jesus and Jesus alone. It is Jesus only, always, period. Amen.